This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church. Welcome to another edition of The Faithful Expositor. Again, I'm your host, Joe Carpenter, and today I'm here in the studio with Brother John O. Sims, and the subject today is the Southern Baptist Convention. Good morning, brother. You Good doing morning. all right? Doing great today, brother. Thanks. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I don't want to waste too much time here in introduction. I would encourage our listeners to go back and listen to part one of this series where we're dealing with the Southern Baptist Convention and many of the issues that are there. But, of course, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, you, uh, from the pulpit, outlined and led the church to formally withdraw from the Southern Baptist Convention. And so in light of that, we thought that it would be worthy of our time to dedicate a podcast to that, where we would be able to sit down and talk about and let people hear a little more of your heart behind why we're doing that and so on. Last week, we talked a great deal about the number one fruit of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that would be unhealthy and unbiblical churches. Well, today we want to take it a step further. In your message, you outlined at least four other fruits of the Southern Baptist Convention that, again, just kind of serve as a burr in the saddle that let us know, hey, this is not a healthy partnership, and that's why we're withdrawing. And the next one that you outlined was what you call wokeism. What's wokeism, brother? (laughs) It's another gospel pure and simple. In every way that Paul warns those in Galatia of embracing another gospel, I believe that this is another gospel. Yeah. Uh, when the Southern Baptist Convention affirmed Resolution Number 9 a couple of years back, which basically was an agreement to use critical race theory as a legitimate tool to deal with racial racial prejudice and racial problems in the Southern Baptist Convention, they effectively denied the sufficiency of Scripture. Right, which we talked about in the last episode. Exactly. Yeah. Which is that the gospel alone has mm-hmm. the power to reconcile people to God and to each other, Yeah. which is Christ's great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, followed, properly followed the gospel addresses this problem. Hmm. We don't need critical race theory or any other philosophy to be superimposed over onto the church. Mm-hmm. We just need to trust in the sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah. I was reading just this week, I'm doing the read-through, hmm. the Bible, and I came to Acts 10 with uh, Cornelius and Peter, hmm. and where Peter sees that great sheet, which is representative of the Gentiles being gathered into the kingdom. and. The Lord tells him to rise, kill, and eat. And he says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord said, don't call what I have sanctified uncommon Mm -hmm. or unclean. Mm -hmm. And God was saying to Peter, I'm going to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. I'm going to pull them in. Same time, he's having same vision given to Cornelius. And Cornelius is you know, told to reach out to to Peter. And Mm -hmm. Peter's going to tell him the way of salvation. And when they experience that and Peter reports back to the church in Jerusalem, you know, the conclusion is, well, then God's granted life to the Gentiles. God's mm-hmm. no respecter of persons. Amen. That was the great tearing down of the wall of partition. Yeah. There was racial walls there. There was cultural walls there. There were socioeconomic walls there. There mm-hmm. were religious walls there. Mm-hmm. And they all came crashing down through a proper presentation of the gospel. 
So wokeism is this idea that I've got to get in tune with my culture. Mm-hmm. I've got to figure out all the latest lingo and buzzwords and use all the latest stratagem and mm-hmm. technique to figure out how to bridge this gap, whatever the gap may be. Yeah. Well, the gospel is alone sufficient to bridge that gap. And Amen. I think when the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville failed miserably, failed miserably to revoke resolution number nine on critical race theory, Mm -hmm. they showed their hand. They showed the true state of the convention. Now, maybe they want to say they condemned it in a council meeting, in an executive committee meeting, and everybody there denounced it. Well, then you should have done that before the floor of the convention. Mm -hmm. There should have been a clear – there should have been a definitive word so that no one had any doubt at all mm-hmm. where the Southern Baptist Convention stands on critical race theory. Yeah. And it could have gone something like this. Look, two years ago we approved this. We didn't completely understand what we were stepping into. Now we do. We want you to know as your leaders we have repented. Yeah. We repent that we did not research this out more fully that we led you in a direction that was unhealthy. We're sorry. We acknowledge our – we own it. Mm-hmm. We acknowledge our fault. We're coming before here, you today to make a recommendation to you that we repudiate this, that yeah. we renounce it, and we want critical race theory to be clearly defined as incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can't do that when you got your finger run up in the air to see which way the wind's blowing. Yeah. Which is what I fear our leaders have. Mm-hmm. They they've got their they got their foot on both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. They're they're trying to please a, a, a theologically conservative crowd, and they're also trying to please the the, the culture of the day yeah. that believes this is a legitimate tool. And no man can serve two masters. Yeah. You know. And I think that's what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, resolution number nine should have been completely put down. Amen. Not ambiguous, not some backdoor meeting. Yeah. It should have been clearly, decisively put down. Yeah. And I said this last week, and I want to say it again. I had this conversation with Brother David Miller. We're good friends. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, I do believe that when resolution number nine was brought before the floor of the convention, I've been to so many conventions. You know, and people trust what's going on up on, on the stage. They do. They trust their leaders, and they want to follow them. You know, and that's right and good and just and appropriate. But uh, I believe that the overwhelming majority of Southern Baptists didn't understand what critical race theory is. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't understand what they were voting on. The leadership just said, "This is what we need to do," and they raised their ballots and voted on it. Brother David said, "Yeah, I agree with you. I believe that's exactly what happened." But here's the problem: we've had two years. Yeah. Okay, there's no excuses now. That's right. We've had two years in which people have read, two years in which people have studied and got boned up on it and understand what it is now. We've had two years to look at this, and the leadership knows that it's incompatible Mm -hmm. and inconsistent with our doctrine and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They should have clearly, clearly denounced it instead of shutting down, uh, I believe, Tom Askell's good faith attempt. It's good. To um, you know, to call that out, just rule him out of order, right? You know, and just shut it down. It's, that doesn't sit well with people like me, brother. That, something like thirteen hundred messengers had signed yeah. that petition too. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know that 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 would be how I have seen wokeism, mm-hmm. you know, kind of take a stronghold and a foothold in the Southern Baptist Convention. A, a new liberalism has emerged in the Southern Baptist Convention yeah. through this door. 
I'm having flashbacks to, you know, the 80s and 90s and when I was in seminary and the language that the, the then liberals were using, they called uh, us conservatives fundamentalists. And they tried to brand us out to be excessive extremists mm-hmm. and only hurting the convention. And you all you want to do is disrupt and, and bring you know trauma yeah. to the convention. And that's the same thing that's happening now. Yeah. Anybody that, that you know has a legitimate concern, tries to bring a resolution, ask a question, they just put out all these articles after the convention on the traits of fundamentalism. And they tied it to political conservatism in the Republican Party and how people, you know, uh, are responding there and it's being brought over into the religious world. Somebody needs to wake up and say, that doesn't have anything to do with it at all. It's simply this. We believe the Word of God is sufficient in all matters of faith and practice. And when you guys turn to something like CRT, we believe you're denying the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Amen. Now, we're going to devote an entire podcast to dealing with critical race theory, but I wanted to, before we get off of this topic here, I did want to just deal very quickly with the sin of racism and yeah. the sin of partiality. And because today, it's kind of the catchphrase where if you oppose critical race theory, then you must be a racist. Yeah. I mean, it's just this crazy uh, bipolar almost approach to anything. Talk to us a little bit about racism. It's a sin. Yeah. It's it's wicked. I hate it. It's demonic. It, it, it's Satan's attempt to divide and yeah. devour, and that's who he is. Yeah. He roameth about seeking whom he may devour, and the way he does it is through division mm. and suspicion and fear and doubt, and racism bears all the thumbprint of Satan. Yeah. And, you know, it's a sin. It's wicked, brother. I say to people all the time, Jesus Christ was not a white Anglo-Saxon, brother. <laughs> if Jesus would have been a racist, you and me wouldn't be saved. Amen. Brother, Jesus Christ crossed the line from deity, yeah. though he didn't cease to be God. Right. He crossed the line from heaven to earth. Mm. He crossed the line from rich to poor. He crossed the line from Jew to Gentile. Mm. He crossed the line from male to female. He crossed the line from master to slave. Mm. Jesus crossed every man-made barrier that there is Mm. to bring the good news of salvation to all men equally. And back to that Cornelius experience, Peter said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. They've received the Holy Spirit as we have received the Holy Mm. Spirit, he says. And so for one person to think they're superior to somebody else is wicked. Amen. No man is superior to another man. No man. Yeah. No man has a higher standing than any other man. You know, we talk about here at the 4th of July, all men are created equally. Well, all men are equally created uh, sinners. They come into this world sinful and fallen and wicked. And before the cross of Jesus Christ, we're all level in this regard. We've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need the same thing, the grace of God. Hmm. And how offensive and how wicked it is for a man or a woman that is a sinner that has received the grace of Jesus Christ, that has received forgiveness, to then go out and act like somehow they're better than somebody else. Or they deserve something better than somebody else. It's just, it, I, I tell you what it's like, brother. 
It's like the the servant yep. whom God forgave a ten thousand mm-hmm. talent debt. Yep. But but he wouldn't forgive a ten penny debt. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's just this great discrepancy of understanding who we are before God. Mm-hmm. We're all sinners. Mm-hmm. And we all have that equally. And none of us are better than another. And to think that we are is wicked. Racism is a sin. I'm against it in all forms. And I've preached against it my entire ministry. You know, we tried to raise our kids. And and maybe I even overreacted. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I would never refer to a kid at school. Now, Emily, what's that black guy's name? Right. Or what's that Asian guy's name? Or what's that, uh, you know, guy's name or gal's name by some descriptor? I would just – I tried to never do that. I I wanted my kids to be colorblind. Mm. If you came over to our house on Sundays after church, there was all – girls, boys, all races – Sitting around our table, and we all just loved each other, and you know, it just it, it, the gospel tears those barriers yes. down. And um, it, I, critical race theory is not helping the yeah. problem with race in America. It it is racism. Yeah. Critical race theory is causing people to be suspicious, causing people to hate each other, causing people to critically analyze each other. It's it's a tool of Satan to divide what Christ is doing through the gospel. That's right. And that's why when the Southern Baptist Convention wholeheartedly uh, approves of it, won't denounce it, then that that creates a rift. Brother, if a man was a racist, if I saw any racist tendencies, first of all, that would be a church discipline issue. Amen. I would bring a man or a woman before our church. First of all, they'd never be allowed membership in our church if if we picked up on that. I would recommend as the pastor of the church we not receive them as a member unless they repent. Amen. Uh, And if we noticed racial tendencies, brother, we would treat that like any other sin, and we would would invoke church discipline and deal with that. Um, And and so it's a sin, brother, like every other sin. Mm -hmm. It's to be treated like any other sin and to be preached against, to be stood against. I hate it. With everything in me, yep. But you don't need critical race theory to teach you that you've got the word. Need of God, the gospel which led you all through that that process. The gospel there. of Jesus Christ Amen. is sufficient. So these are again, we're dealing with some of the fruits here of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we've talked about unhealthy and unbiblical churches. We've talked about their wholehearted acceptance uh, of wokeism and critical race theory. You also brought up that there's been a softening on abortion in the Southern Baptist Convention, and I believe we saw this at the last convention in Nashville that they had. Talk to us a little bit about that. I know there's a lot of people that would say that's not the case, Mm. but there was a fierce opposition of a motion made to denounce all abortion. All. Yeah. And I think these guys used the language of incrementalism and how you know, we shouldn't fight this fight in incremental levels. Well, I think you fight the fight wherever you fight it. Yeah. Wherever the skirmish is, you fight on that level. And if we can restrict abortion on any level, yeah. in any district, at any time, at any place, and it saves one girl from having an abortion, yeah. then it was worth it. I don't know why anybody would ever oppose any restriction on abortion abortion at any level. Right. 
And but it was tenaciously opposed on the floor of the convention. Now a strong arm prevailed, and they were able to get that resolution passed denouncing all abortion. But again, the leadership kind of showed their hands a little bit there. Yeah, I, I just think it signals a, a, a step in the wrong direction. Right. I know the ladies of our local crisis pregnancy center hmm. shouted amen when I preached this and said, man, we just need all the help we can get, incremental or overall or whatever level yeah. it comes on. We'll take it. Whether you're murdering a baby at six weeks, eight weeks, 15 weeks, yep. or right there at nine months, it's still murder. <laughs> if we can get a local ordinance passed or an ordinance in our state passed that restricts abortion or makes it harder for somebody yes. to get it or creates another roadblock, I'm all in. Yeah. I'm all for it. And I don't know why anybody that's with us would oppose that. I don't either. I, I just, it's just inconceivable. Yeah. We also saw that there's been a, and we see this even in the new SBC uh, president, that there's been a shift on complementarianism. Now, again, this isn't anything new. Yeah. This has been something that you saw back in the right. 70s and 80s that led to the new Baptist Faith and Message 2000 to right. be published. We've seen it in the past recent years with Beth Moore, um, with um, uh, many churches even, Rick Warren you mentioned, and Saddle. Back church is that the name of the that's church? right um, uh, ordaining women as pastors talk to us a little bit about that brother well Ed Litton said and this is as close to a direct quote as I can get that he was going to take a more inclusive view of complementarianism brother how do you take a more inclusive view of complementarianism unless it includes egalitarianism <laughs> we only have first yeah. Timothy yeah second Timothy Titus and Paul's epistles I don't know how you get more inclusive than the inspired Word of God. Yeah, I mean the, the qualifications are set forever. Yeah, forever. And I'm assuming that that's what Adrian Rogers and company, yeah. when they chaired the 2000 amendments that we affirmed in Orlando, and I was there and voted for them. Hmm. That you know, while women can serve in a local church, the office of pastor is restricted to men as qualified by Scripture. Yeah. It's a pretty close quote to what it says. And I think they saw this day coming, and they were trying to make a bold, definitive statement before we got to this day. Hmm. Well, here we are, and we have the bold, definitive statement, but everybody's ignoring it. Yeah. I, I don't know how you take a more inclusive view of complementarianism when the Scripture has clearly spoken. And, you know, uh, can you ever conceive of a time or a day? Mm. Can you ever conceive of a time or a day that I, preaching a message at Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church on Sunday morning, would bring Kayla up to the pulpit with me to have her beside me to help to let her help me preach my sermon mm. over no. my dead body? No, it'll never happen. And and we have women that teach small groups in our church, but no, and and that's what. Ed has done. Yeah. And I think his wife was quoted as saying, I, I won't be preaching anymore for a while. Mm. So in their minds, you know, what she's doing is she's preaching. Yeah. And and um so he's again, fruit. Jesus said you'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. There's a general downgrade. There, there's a general softening on these things that show a direction we're just not comfortable with. Right. And when you have Rick Warren ordained three women as pastors. Yeah. 
the week or so before the convention, that's an in-your-face move mm-hmm. to basically say, well, okay, what are you going to do about it? Right. And to push the envelope, and we just had the Beth Moore debacle that we've talked about here, even on this podcast. Right. They're, they're just – it seems to be, brother, a convoluted message, a, 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 a weakening mm-hmm. on the clearly revealed Word of God. Mm-hmm. We and we need to hold that line very, very firm. That's right. And I see it slipping. Yep. You preached on this several times before. Headship that the Lord has instituted takes place that the man is is the head of the household, and the same thing is true within the church. Absolutely. And Paul doesn't just talk about that uh, historically. He he get well. He does. He goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. Yeah. And, and taps into the purpose for creation in the first. Absolutely. Uh, That's an Edenic <laughs> yeah. all the way back to creation. You know, this is the order God has written into the very. F- foundation of this world. Yeah. And it must be observed in Christian homes and in Christian churches. And the thing that I hear people talking about, at least I guess on Twitter or whatever, about this is they'll say, well, there's a hard line between the office of pastor and the function of the pastor. And that's, I think, how they're trying to kind of sneak that in is that uh, as long as they're not a woman is not holding the office of pastor, that she can still in some way serve as a function of a pastor. She can preach on Sunday morning. She can preach uh, to a congregation of men and women. And brother, is that not what Satan did? Hath God not said? Men don't sneak. Right. Men of God don't sneak. Men of God don't try to slip something in the back door. The Bible's not a backdoor Bible. Hmm. The Bible's not a sneaky Bible. Hmm. The Bible speaks very, very clearly. Yeah. And God has said that you know, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Yeah. All those terms are male-gendered terms. Mm-hmm. He talks about being the husband of one wife. He, he lays out the qualifications of a man having his house in order and his children in subjection and his wife in submission. And he's laid down very, very clear commands and very, very instructions as to who can be a pastor. And then he gives us the biblical qualifications, which are stringent as well. Yeah. And you don't play with those. Yeah, the, all of these are attempts to get something we want at the cost of the scripture, rather yeah. than submitting and yielding and obeying. We try to craft a way and figure out a way to come around the back door and go ahead and do what we want to do, and yet still appear on the outward surface to be orthodox. Yeah, it's a sham. Yeah, and and men of God that love Jesus and are. Have their will has been surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's like a spoiled kid. These guys trying to get the thing, the the cookie out of the cookie jar that they want. Man, when your will has been broken, and you've surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and, and the word of God regulates your life, you're not sneaking around looking for a way that you can connive and get what you want like a kid in the cookie jar. You're yielded to Jesus Christ and yielded to His Word. Yeah. This is childish yeah. for these people to act this way. That's right. It's unbiblical. It's unscriptural. And uh, I, I don't want to be a part of it. it. I'm not going to be a part of it. It lacks what Brother Jeff Noblet calls that gospel humility, too. And gospel integrity. Yeah. Mm. Well, and again, I think we could dedicate it. I think if we said this before, we could dedicate an entire podcast to each I would just say one this, of these. I would just say this too, Brother Joe, that when you look at these things, brother, you know, you don't have to be very smart to see which way the wind's blowing. Hmm. Yeah. 
And when you just look at these things we've t- discussed now in these two podcasts, y- you know, in the morning when I get up to go deer hunting, I look at the Weather Channel and yep. I decide which stand I'm going to hunt. And it sa- if it says the, sto- the, 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 the wind is blowing out of the north, then I know I don't need to hunt that south stand. Yeah, I, I know which way the wind's blowing. I, I, I know which way it's coming from. And, brother, when I look at these things, there's a general blowing of the wind hmm. in a leftward direction. Mm-hmm. There's a general blowing of the wind toward liberalism. Hmm. There's a, a general blowing of the wind toward softening on biblical distinctives. There's a general blowing of the wind away from conservative theology. Yeah. And it's just clear to see there's a downgrade. Yeah. There's a drift. Yeah. And I think guys that are in the Word and, and take the Word of God serious and are trying to apply it, they clearly see it. And these other guys, they, they don't think it's there. They don't think it's happening. Yeah. And they're adamant about it. But I, I know which way the wind's blowing. I can see it very clearly. There's a downgrade. Yeah. There's a drift. Mm-hmm. And all these things signal that it's a drift in the wrong direction, and these downgrades are are involving people. Yeah, there. You know, your next point was the SBC politics that right. seem to be going on. Men who are leaders are just kind of showing their hand as not being necessarily men of integrity uh, because of some of the uh, the tactics that they're you know involving themselves in. Russell Moore was. Not only my systematic theology teacher up at Southern Seminary, but he was my ethics professor up at Southern Seminary. And I sat, sat under a class with him teaching us ethics. And what I saw him do prior to this last convention was, at bare minimum, unethical. Absolutely. Leaking letters that were supposed to be private uh, just before a major election information that he supposedly had had for a year that he just now decided would be a good idea to uh, divulge. Brother, that's unethical. kind of stuff angry, bitter, sour church members have tried to do to me through the year to get me fired. Yeah. Causes me to have flashbacks. Yeah. I mean, good, men of God just don't do that kind of thing, me brother. Me too, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I talked about Philip Bethencourt, you know, playing mm-hmm. recorded messages that were supposed to be confidential. Yeah. Um, there's been reports of the North American Mission Board, you know, giving money to some of their church planters to come to the convention and vote for Ed Litton. Mm. Um, I don't like what Danny Aiken did. Yeah, he's a seminary president. I don't think it's his prerogative in the runoff election yeah. between Mike Stone and Ed Litton to use his platform and go on Twitter and say, "I believe Ed Litton would serve us best." Yeah. You know, when Russell Dilday did that for Daniel Vestal back in the Morris Chapman days, the conservatives went berserk and said that it's not right for a convention employee, Mm. uh, a sitting president of one of our seminaries that draws a salary from the cooperative program to endorse a a, a presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. I I just don't believe that's appropriate. I think Danny was wrong. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he should have done that. You brought out a really good point with Mike Stone that I had not even thought of. And again, you and I, I think, have talked about before where if we would have gone to the convention, he probably would have been the. the he man would that have we, been the one I voted for. But you talked about the way that he had aggressively pursued the presidency. I don't like and campaigning. That. You know, my my wife brought out this example. She said, "If you're nominated for something like that, she said that should humble you." And I thought, man, that's a really good point. <laughs> well, growing up, brother, uh, you know, when when someone was nominated for president of the Southern Baptist Convention, 
that was an honorable thing. Yeah. And your nomination was based upon kind of your track record yeah. and your church and what you'd done and who you were. And that, that spoke for itself. And then that was basically it. Yeah. And then people would go to the convention, and they would have made up their mind and whatnot. But now we're in an age of heavy campaigning, almost – I say this loosely. I, I don't, I'm not saying paid advertising, but advertising. Political posturing. Yeah, through Twitter and yeah. Facebook and you know, m- recorded messages and whatnot. Yeah. I, you too. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I just – it's politics. Yeah. You know, I had a guy call me up from Florida – and uh, he was encouraged, a brother that I really love, and he was encouraged to watch the Southern Baptist Convention. And he called me up, and he was just devastated. I mean, it rocked him. He mm. said, brother, I felt like I was watching the Democratic National Convention. Oh, goodness. Mm. He said, I've never seen such jockeying for position and strutting around and, and, and you know, power plays and moves and uh, political wrangling over words to get a particular thing shut down or put up or propped up or put down. He said, I'm just devastated. He said, I had no idea this is what our convention did. Um, it, it's, it, it, can, it, can, it can be ugly. You brought up the point about the abuse victims yes. that were basically taken to the convention or they came to the convention and by many of these leaders in the convention were just sort of paraded around on the convention floor. They tried to kind of record even with Mike Stone, a you know, a, an, an incident with him where he supposedly wasn't kind or, you know, let me ask you a question because that kind of seems to be a big talking point today. And I think it's, again, it's the Southern Baptist Convention leadership that are just uh, responding to the winds of the Me Too movement that are out there today. But, but when it comes to an issue like abuse, how should that be handled within Southern Baptist life? Well, it's impossible for me to know the depth of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention because each church is autonomous. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like I don't like the executive committee putting churches on a quote watch list for sexual abuse or whatever. That's an overreach and an overstep. Amen. The Southern Baptist Convention has no authority in the local churches at all. They Amen. work for us. We don't work for them. That's right. And so. You know, the way this should go down is on a local level. Yeah. And I go back to what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. If a church would practice church discipline yeah. and carry that out biblically, it would handle this problem. Now, I saw a guy post a tweet, uh, something to the effect of a few weeks ago that church discipline is not just a local church is you know local church discipline issue that there also needs to be law enforcement to which i say hallelujah yeah amen but what i would say to him is my dear brother you're assuming that southern baptist churches actually practice church discipline <laughs> and the fact is they don't not at all they don't at all and i just raised the scenario yesterday what would happen at shelbyville mills baptist church if an allegation of sexual abuse was brought to us yeah we don't have to wonder. We know what would happen. Look at our history. Yeah. Look at our track record. What happened when we had an embezzlement? What happened when we had the chairman of deacons committing adultery? What happened when we had a deacon abandon his wife and children and live in an adulterous relationship? It's not what would happen at Shelbyville Mills, and I say this humbly and broken. It's what has happened. Yeah. If a charge of sexual abuse came to me or you or one of our pastors, we would pick up the phone and dial 911. Yeah. We would call the local authorities. 
We would invite them in. We would open up every door in this church. They got access to computers. They get access to cell phones. They can ask whatever questions they want to ask. They can interview anybody they want to interview. They can talk to anybody they want to talk about. And wherever the evidence leads, wherever that trail leads to, if we discover it to be true and factual, then we would enact church discipline. Yeah. We would agree. That's why God gave us two swords. He gave us the sword of church government, That's Matthew right. chapter 18. He gave us the sword of civil government, Romans chapter 13. And sometimes both of those swords are required in order to deal with something like sexual abuse. So I have no problem with that at all. And I'm willing to uh, put, so to speak, my money where my mouth is. Right. And that's where the problem is. Churches, these guys want to go to the floor of the convention. Mm-hmm. And they want to plume out their peacock feathers on their tail like they're really taking a stand. Yeah. Like, I'm the big boss. I've come to fix the big problem. I'm going to speak to the great social ill. I'm going to speak to the great divide, the great problem in the Southern Baptist Convention. And they got their tail tucked between their legs just as soon as they leave there and go back to their church because they know if they tried to do in their church what they're purporting at the Southern Baptist Convention, they don't have the authority to do it, and it probably cost them their job. They get fired. And so what I want to say is, again, back to what I said last podcast, until we get back to the local church being a healthy church, it doesn't matter what the Southern Baptist Convention does. Parading sexual abuse victims over the floor of the convention or having them stand beside you at the microphone when you make a motion or, you know, uh, having them interviewed by such and such person, uh, using them to, to draw awareness to sexual abuse may seem real noble, but what I want to say is, Pastor, until you're willing to lead your church to practice church discipline and, if necessary, cooperate with your local authorities to bring that uh, sin to light, you're just playing games. Yeah. You're All you're doing is political wrangling and making it look like you're really taking a stand on something when you're really not. Yeah. It's it Look, it requires no courage or character at all yeah. to step up to a microphone. Yeah on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention and speak. Anybody can do it. Sure. But you go to the microphone or the pulpit of your church and yeah. speak it and then apply it and lead your church to walk in it, mm-hmm. and that's where it's going to require decades of your life. Yeah. It's going to requ- you're going to have to live with those people for decades yeah. to see that church become a church that actually thinks biblically and can actually practice biblical truth. Yeah. And the sad truth is most pastors are not going to stay at a church that long. Right. They're going to be long gone before they get to the point of dealing with something like that. Yeah. So, we'll just go to the floor of the convention and strut around like a peacock. Yeah. Rather than we do rather than do the heavy lifting mm-hmm. and doing the hard things on the front lines. Yeah. And that is the local church. Mm. Southern Baptist Convention is not the front line. That's the desk job. Yeah, back several layers back, mm. the guys that are fighting the battle and and shooting the the bullets and the arrows and taking the shots are the pastors that are pastoring the churches mm-hmm. that are trying to see their churches be a biblically healthy church, and that's why pastors that are doing that are nauseated with the politics and sick of it. Yeah, because they're actually trying to lead their churches to apply biblical truth, and they're tired of all the political wrangling and meandering and acting and strutting and showing that a guy's doing something when, in fact, he's not doing anything. Yeah. 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 It's one thing, like you said, to go to the convention floor 
and to uh, talk about helping abuse victims. But that's another thing entirely to have to discipline a member of your congregation who's been involved in sexual abuse. Or to do a blog or to do a podcast. Yeah. Or, or to, you know, uh, lead some symposium. Mm-hmm. Try counseling with that family, too, for Brother, months after picking up the devastation and the problems afterwards that fall out. Until our churches get back to the Bible being sufficient yeah. and, and doing things like practicing church discipline mm-hmm. and having qualified men in the positions of elder and deacon that yeah. can actually think biblically and act biblically and not be little scaredy cats mm-hmm. afraid of somebody coughing in the church because they disagree. Yeah. Look, people are going to disagree. Mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody's got to be a man. Yeah. Somebody has got to be a man of God and stand up and say, "We are going to follow the scriptures." Now, I understand it takes decades, but when are you going to start, sir? Mm. When are you going to start? Mm. At what point are you going to engage in this conflict yeah. and lead your church to be a Bible practicing church? Mm. And I'm telling you, until we do, we can strut around the floor of the convention and make all the resolutions we want to. It's not going to change a thing. Yeah. America needs more biblically healthy churches. We don't need more cool guys starting churches being relevant. Yeah. We need more guys to plant churches that are going to be true to the authoritative Word of God. You said uh, in your message that, and just kind of bringing some of this to a close then as we're getting close to the end here, but you said in your message too that you had been on the phone with another brother who basically challenged you by saying, so Brother Jono, after looking at all of this, and by the way, more, there's so much more that we haven't even talked about, but after looking at all of this, Give us one good reason for staying in the convention. Yeah, you know, I, I I have several brothers that I trust, and you know, the Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors, and yeah. so I, I sent this manuscript to six, seven, or eight uh, guys that I trust the most, and said, "Have I missed anything? Am, yeah. I, am I wrong on anything? Sure. Have I overlooked anything?" And and this one brother, brother Brett, yeah, um, said to me, he said, "Brother, I would just add one thing to your manuscript." He said, tell me one reason that you personally, a legitimate reason, would stay in the Southern Baptist Convention. I couldn't come up with one. Yeah. Not one. And that, and that, and, and that and, you know, by then my decision was kind of made, I guess, anyway. But for that, it was just like a dagger in the heart, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah, that, that's true. And it, it's not to say that there's not some good things going on there, but I, I just, for me, it's reached a conscious point, brother, as I said earlier. Yeah. To where I, you know, to, when you when you tell me I'm in cooperation with somebody, mm-hmm. that means something to me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not ignore 999 out of a thousand things so you get one thing. Yeah, that's not what cooperation is for me. That's right. And that's where I've been for a long time. And it's so compromise, isn't it? That's you, you get to the point where that's that's where you, you how you feel. Yeah, and that's where I'm at. For yeah. me, for me to go another step in this direction would be explaining to Jesus at the Bema seat why I did it. Mm. And I, I don't want that. That's mm. not what I want. Yeah. And and I'll tell you this, brother, and this is kind of the way I concluded my message. That's why I'm in partnership with Anchored in Truth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're all fallen men. We're all sinners. You know, we're, we're not perfect, and we don't think we've got it all figured out. But I will say this. Um, we're partnering with missionaries all over the world pastors all over the United States and the world 
church plants mm -hmm. all over the United States and the world that believe in the sufficiency of Scripture in yeah. preaching and evangelism, that believe that expository preaching is the way you make and equip disciples, that believe that small groups is the way you have every, every member ministry and how mm -hmm. the church ministers to one another, that believe in personalized strategic world missions, not just throwing dollars at a mission board. Yeah but strategic and personalized world missions that lines up biblically with who we are, um, that have the regular and consistent practice of church discipline in their church, or at least they're headed in that direction, yeah. uh, that have a biblical understanding of true evangelism mm -hmm. and true conversion, mm -hmm. that have a, a, a an understanding of biblical church membership and, and baptism, and that uh, have standards for biblical church leadership. Yeah. You know. That that's what anchored in truth is, and if a guy is not that, uh, he's he's not going to receive mission dollars from us, right. and we're not going to plant a church with him, and probably he's not going to want to be around us anyway, right. because he's not going to be in agreement with us. But that that's why, brother, I have led Shelbyville Mills over the last several years to let anchored in truth be our major missions arm. The majority of our, almost all of our mission giving now and church planting initiatives and missions work is done through Anchored in Truth. And I would just offer two challenges to a brother out there that's looking for a place, if that's what, if that's what you're looking for. If, if, that, if your ears perk up when you hear this and you say, that's what I'd like to be a part of, then check us out. Mm -hmm. Check check out Anchored in Truth. I serve on the board, and mm -hmm. and I see the inner workings. And and um, I'm telling you from top to bottom, this is a solid missions planting, church planting, uh, mission sending organization that's completely rooted in the local church. I'm excited about the Pastoral Training Institute. I am too. You know, it's not just the idea of sending a brother away from the church so that he can get taught, but all of it is. The training, the discipleship, uh, the education, it's all taking place through the local church. Dr. Tim Seals doing a great job. Yeah. I've known Tim my entire ministry. Lifelong friend, hmm. uh, just a thoroughly biblical brother mm -hmm. that loves Jesus and loves to train men. Hmm. You know, we got Tom Nettles teaching uh, church history next semester. And uh, guys can come and get a good, you know, theological underpinning. But here's the thing. They're going to walk it out in the laboratory of the local church. And that's it. That's it, brother. They're going to learn what it means to shepherd the flock of God. And here's the deal. Our seminaries are doing a good job, but you can graduate from one of our seminaries and not know how to pastor a church. That's right. You're not taught how to pastor. Hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're taught theology and you learn some things, but you come out of seminary not knowing how to pastor a church. Hmm. And the Pastoral Training Institute teaches a guy how to pastor a church. Yeah. That's what we're focusing on. And I would also say this to any brother listening. Um, we have a conference every year called the True Church Conference. It's held at Grace Life Church of Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And this year's True Church Conference will be February the 17th through the 20th of 2022. And the theme this year is healthy body life in the local church. Now, the one thing that's missing that's it. in the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> is that is that not exactly what we're talking about? Yeah. Healthy body life in the local church. And here's the topics. Church discipline, mm. um, biblical counseling, biblical conflict resolution, 
and protecting the sheep from savage wolves. Mm. Um, brother Jeff Noblet will be preaching. Richard Caldwell, a brother that I'm really getting looking forward to getting to meet. I've we've kind of gotten to know of each other, but um, looking forward to meeting him. Also, Daryl Harrison, uh, I've followed him for quite some time. I'm looking forward to meeting him. Mm-hmm. Virgil Walker, mm. another brother that looking forward to meet. Uh, lifelong friend uh, Barry King. Yeah. Um, lifelong friend, best friend, David Miller mm-hmm. will be preaching, and I'll be preaching a session too. And uh, I, I just pray that you know some of you brothers listening will attend this year's True Church Conference. I believe it's the most strategic one um, that we've ever had before, and that'll open up so many avenues and doors for you to meet guys and yep. make friendships and have some association and cooperation with guys that you can talk with any you can talk to them about anything with, yeah. and not fear political correctness <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, or retribution for believing in the doctrines of grace or believing in church discipline or yeah. you know the sufficiency of scripture and and so it's just a, a family that I am very very thankful to be a part of and feel very at home with and uh, that's where I'm going to spend the rest of my life and ministry is working with brothers that I can actually have deep biblical cooperation with. Amen. One of the obviously the preaching and teaching of the True Church Conference is always a blessing. It's yeah. always a help for pastors going in there. But like you said, the relationships that you form, you're meeting pastors from literally all over the world yeah. who are again not not perfectly arrived, not there yet, but they're pursuing those marks of a healthy church. And right. so you can bounce ideas off of them. You can pray with one another and fellowship and encourage one another. And it's it's just a sweet, sweet fellowship. Well, I don't think I'm stepping too far out in front of the church here because the church has repeatedly you know, told me to do this. And we are just one local church. And obviously, we have limited resources. I mean, we have a budget just like everybody else, and our church lives exclusively off the tithes and the offerings of our people, just like probably any pastor listening, his church does that. Uh, so we, while we do have limited resources and you know the, our pool is only so deep, I would say that if there's a brother out there mm-hmm. listening, and maybe he's in a small church, and maybe that his church doesn't have the resources to send him to the True Church Conference. Yeah. If they'll contact us, we'll try to pay that brother's way as best we can. We'll, we'll try to find him lodging. Uh, we'll try to get his meals taken care of as best we can and 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 help a brother uh, get there if he's unable to come. If you're in a church that can't afford it, pl- you know, pl- please do that. But if there's a brother that needs some help, you know, we'll try to help a brother if he needs that. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, let me before we move on to this final section here that I wanted to deal with here, I just wanted to say thank you for leading our church in this direction. Thank you for your resolve. Thank you for having a strong backbone, uh, your fidelity to not only, like you've said, preaching the Word of God, but seeking to apply it in the life of the local church. And so thank you for that. And um, thank you for the fellowship and friendship that uh, that uh, is along with that, too. So with that being said, what's next for Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church? Where do we go from here? Well, I might have said this earlier. I know I said it to you in my office this morning. Um, there is no joy in this for me. Yep. This is awful. This is vexing and irksome. You know, I'm a fifth-generation Southern Baptist, as I've said. I'm uh, about to have a birthday, and I'll be 57 years old. So I've been a Southern Baptist since I came out of the womb. And when me and Kayla were driving into church Sunday, she asked me, how are you doing? And I said, I'm really sad. Mm. 
there's no joy in this for me. It feels like a divorce. I don't like it. I don't like the way it feels. I, I don't like subjecting our church to this trauma when really our people were looking around Sunday like, what? What is the why, Southern why, Baptist why, Convention? Yeah, why are we talking about this? But <laughs> but it's it's almost like one of those dead dogs that I just can't let, let lie around anymore, yeah, brother. I'm just tired of it. And I just felt like we needed to speak definitively to it. But I want you to know, brother, there's nothing in me gleeful or joyful like, oh, well, we've just taken another step here of this great master plan that I've laid out. I've, I didn't envision us being here. You know, I don't feel like we're taking a step up and this is some accomplishment here that I can say. As a matter of fact, hey, have you noticed, brother, I haven't posted anything on Twitter? Right. Have you noticed I haven't posted anything on Facebook? You know, all these guys are out there bragging about what they're going to do. I've intentionally not done that. And here's here's the reason why is because I don't take my case to social media. I take it to my church. Yeah. You love your church. (laughs) If I'm I'm not going to say it to my church, I don't need to say it. And I wanted my church to hear it before whoever's listening hears it. Yeah, and so, you know, it's it's a sad thing for me. Um, I w- I wish the Southern Baptist Convention could be what Anchored in Truth is. Mm-hmm. If it was, we wouldn't need an Anchored in Truth. Yeah. I, I wish the Southern Baptist Convention could do what Anchored in Truth and the Pastoral Training Institutes do. And if they could, we wouldn't need it. Yeah, uh, and I and I'd much rather that be the case. Yeah. Um, so there's no joy in it for me at all. But I've tried to do this right, brother. I've tried to do it right. You know, I'm not flying off the handle and making making tirades on social media and throwing out a bunch of expletives and whatever, you know, and you know, just generally being frustrated. I've tried to I've tried to so I met with the leadership of our church. All pastors, all elders, all staff, all deacons. And basically what we've talked about right here, word for word, I did I not. Right. I laid out in front of them and said, what say ye? Mm-hmm. And it was 100% unanimous. As a matter of fact, they've been waiting on me. Mm. And so Sunday, hated to do it on July the 4th, but this is just the way it fell. Yeah. So I took it to our church Sunday morning and laid it out before the entire congregation. Um, and we have submitted to the church a new charter our church was chartered as a Southern Baptist church in affiliation or cooperation with the New Duck River Baptist Association, the Tennessee Baptist Convention, and the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, the church effectively two years ago took this step because they defunded the local, state, and national conventions, but we've not done anything formal. So that's what we're doing now. On uh, July the 18th, mm-hmm. Our church will vote on that new charter, which just basically removes the names New Duck River Baptist Association, Tennessee Baptist Convention, and Southern Baptist Convention. Um, We are an autonomous church. We always have been, and we always will be. We will always be a Baptist church. Mm -hmm. Um, I reject the name Independent Baptist because baggage. yeah, that's not who we are. We don't line up with Independent Fundamental Baptist guys. Never will. We are an autonomous Baptist church that has made its or is in the process of making its choice to no longer cooperate with the Southern Baptist Convention, which was voluntary from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And we're choosing to cooperate with brothers now that are more aligned biblically and functionally where we are. 
And I would just challenge any brother out there that he needs to take a look at this as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where we're headed, and that's the way I've chosen to do it is the, is the way of integrity, mm-hmm. the way of clear communication. And, brother, you know me. I'm not one to talk under the table. Yeah. I don't do it. Um, that's not how I roll. If I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it before everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's not one thing that I've said here that I haven't said to our uh, pastors, staff, and deacons. Mm-hmm. There's not one article that I brought up here that I didn't first discuss with them. And I love them, and I respect them, and they have proven themselves. I trust our church. We are a church that um, I believe God invests the authority in the body. And um, we're Congregationalists. Mm-hmm. And so our church is going to have an opportunity to uh, say, what say ye? Mm-hmm. And it'll be the will of the body that prevails here. Mm-hmm. But this is the clear direction that their senior pastors leading them in, that their other pastors are leading them in, and that all of their staff and deacons are leading them in. Absolutely. And um, I'll just say this, and I'm not trying to be presumptuous, but in 33 years of ministry, I've never had the church ever one time go against that level of leadership. Right. And I just believe that's the proper way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something to be said about that level of transparency that's so needed. I do not play politics. Right. I don't. I, I'm just. I'm done. <laughs> if you ask me a question, I'm gonna answer the question. Mm-hmm. If we have a discussion, I'm gonna tell you what I think. Yeah. Now, I want to do that in love, mm-hmm. but I, I hate politics. Yeah. I despise it. It's nauseating to see the Democrats and the Republicans play politics. Yeah. But then when you see it in the Southern Baptist Convention, it's almost unbearable. Yeah. What? Well, no, it is unbearable for me, which is why I'm where I'm at. Yeah. I can't. I can no longer stomach it. Amen. Amen. Well, moving forward, do you have any final words to any brothers that are out there considering some of the same things that uh, that we've had to take Well, to I've already said it. You yeah. know, I think I've already been clear, and it would just be, you know, um, sir, you're going to stand before the Bema seat and give an account how much more as a pastor. Amen. And at what point in your life and ministry are you going to start taking a stand? Mm-hmm. There's always this golden age in our minds somewhere out there somewhere someday when we'll finally get around to obeying the Bible. It'll never come. Mm. That day is today. Mm -hmm. And there's room for wisdom. There's room for being wise. There's room for, you know, seeking out counsel and knowing when to this and when to not this. And I get that. Mm. And if you counsel with me, you're going to hear that. Mm. But at the same time, um, some of you guys listening, you know, man, you've rocked along for decades. Mm. And you, you, there's some things you know the Bible teaches that a church should and must be doing. And yeah. my challenge to you would be, brother, when are you going to get at it? Yeah. When are you going to get at it? When are you going to get down to letting the church be the church and leading? And say like Sister Esther, if I perish, I perish. Mm. You know, um, you just you throw you just throw your all on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him to build His church and participate with Him in it, and don't fear man. Amen. The fear of man brings a snare. Yeah. Whoso trusts in the Lord will be safe. Amen. And shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Well, brother, again, I'm with you. Uh, this, uh, it, It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, it, it, it is a sad day. I've dreaded this day. Yeah. You know I have. I've dread, I put it off. I've dreaded it. But I, I would also say, too, that uh, as far as our people are concerned, too, the church body, 
Um, I don't know how to explain this, but there was a level of clarity that was brought to it uh, that was needed. There was almost a a liberation, so to speak, there, because there was just a, a cloudiness of what should we do, which way are we going here, and bringing that level of clarity, a distinction there to it, frees our people up to a degree. And I think you and I have already experienced this a little bit. We've had numerous people come to us and say, hey, man, we loved y'all and we were with y'all, but it's good to hear definitively where y'all stand on this. I think we've got a lot of good people that read this stuff, brother, and see it, and they're just sick of it too. And I think it's refreshing for them to know that their leadership sees what they see. Yeah. Amen. Well, we'd ask that uh, if you have any questions or concerns or uh, you want to take Brother Jono up on that offer uh, to have some assistance in getting to the True Church Conference that you contact us, you can contact me at uh, brojo at smbconline.com, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to The Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.